None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. So this one is from Frontiers in Plant Science from October 2022. Uh, It's called Variations in Mitragynine Content in Naturally Growing Kratom Population of Thailand from a team at uh, Kassetsart University in Bangkok uh, that conducted this study. It was reviewed by University of Florida scientists Brian Pearson, who's the horticulturalist, Christmas Curdy, and Abhishek Sharma, and they were all past guests on the podcast. They reviewed the final manuscript, um, but the team at um, the from Thailand collected all the samples. So what they did is went into various regions of Thailand, uh, collected samples of leaves, and then um, measured how much uh, my mitragynine or mitragynine as it was in um, in the various samples and then they also measured that along with yeah yeah uh, light intensity relative humidity uh, soil volumetric water content soil pH and calcium and um, so they took all of those and compared it with uh, the levels of mitragynine um, I think I don't know if they quantified the other alkaloids. I think they might have, but they were looking specifically at mitragynine. They started this, it was interesting, I noticed. Um, they were collected between September to December 2021. Kratom had just become legal in Thailand in August 2021, so they were ready to go mm-hmm. a month later after that law passed. And it is um, funded by a couple of government groups. Thai government's Ministry of Higher Education Science, Research, and Innovation, and another government um, institution called the Thailand Science Research and Innovation. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if they're like two branches of the same group, but it looks like what the whole purpose of this is, you know, they legalized Kratom. They probably had this set up before the law even passed, and they um, are now funding research into which growing conditions produce different alkaloids or desirable alkaloids, uh, mitragynine being identified as the most desirable one so far. Because I spoke to, when I interviewed Chris McCurdy and Brian Pearson, it was on the same podcast, they were talking about how they want to get product standardization. So basically, Dr. McCurdy compared it to, you know, when you wake up in the morning, sometimes you want one cup of coffee, sometimes you want th- three or four cups, and you expect the coffee to have a certain standardized level of caffeine. With Kratom now, you 
don't really get that. You really just have to kind of try the different strains and see what works for you. And then you're not really sure if uh, that it's the company new, ordered a new batch, if it's going to be different uh, this month from last month. So ideally, they're looking to standardize the um, growing conditions so they can have something that they can sell to the market. Because Thailand is really going to plan on joining uh, Indonesia to start selling this to the West. And I think ultimately, uh, too, yeah. the, the, the studies to this point, up until this point, that they cite were to look at how the different environmental conditions affect the creative alkaloids were mostly done in a greenhouse. And what they really wanted to do was find, um, you know, more of its native regions and see how that affected it. Yeah. And, and a lot of them were done at University of Florida uh, in, in a greenhouse. And, and we've we've uh, gone over some of those papers. Yeah. it's And it's a long process. I mean, because it takes however many weeks to grow these. They didn't find many uh, alkaloids in the in the plants they were growing for the one study they there was like a low level of alkaloids so it's like well we have to figure out what's the difference between these plants that we grew from seed in this greenhouse to what's growing in um thailand and indonesia and i think thailand and specifically because they they've had probably the longest documented traditional use of kratom i'm sure the plants have been selected somewhat by the population there e- even through i mean it was outlawed in i think 42 or 43 so even through that there was always traditional use and um i forget what year it was but there was a certain region of thailand where traditional use was protected uh even through prohibition they went into the different regions uh and they broke it down on the charts by um north northeast central and south and so when they measured things like light intensity, relative humidity, and m- amount of water in the soil, soil volumetric water uh, concentration, so that's like the um, ratio of the volume of water to the unit volume of soil. Mm-hmm. So it's basically how wet the soil is. Try to try to um, correlate that with how much uh, how much mitragynine is in the leaves. So in each region, four to five trees were chosen. Before we get to the reason, I just want to mention yeah. comparing the U.S. to the to, to over in Thailand. So there was a, yeah. a claim that kratom trees grown in the south central U.S. had a seven times lower uh, metragenine content than Southeast Asia. Did you see? Did you see that little dig there? That little jab. Oh yeah, sevenfold lower metragenine content in the Southeast Asian. I wonder if Southeast Asian, if they're counting like Malaysia, uh, Indonesia. Etc. Oh, I thought maybe it was the four regions that we were looking at here. I just thought, you know, oh, okay. of course, yeah, the farmers over there in Thailand do have a vested interest in continuing to supply, you know, the Western world with kratom plants. But yeah. then also sort of, uh, and oh, it also turns out that it seems that ours is much better. So we're going to figure out why so we can amplify that. I thought was pretty good. And, and it also said, because I remember, and I, I've probably even used it in like articles I've written, but they, they've said... You know, they compared Thailand compared to Malaysia, and then they said Thailand, uh, the mitragynine levels were 66% of alkaloids, and in Malaysia, they were only 12%. Uh, what Brian Pearson told me in that interview was that it was based on, like, very few data points. Mm-hmm. He, he said, uh, oh, I have, like, a direct quote from here. They were based off very, very few data points, and so it was a very large ex- 
extrapolation of a very small sample size, small enough that it's taken quite a few liberties to cast a net over an entire region or several countries. Because they also mentioned in the Philippines, and the Philippines had uh, very little. But I think what's been grown in the United States has been, you know, sent to the lab there, Florida, and, and they've tested it. So there's they, they've probably measured that um pretty well um but mm-hmm. this this looks like you know it's one of the ones that they're doing a very detailed um measurement uh this is like four to five trees from each region from each location and then i guess they bundled the lo- locations into regions and then they measured the light intensity and all that other stuff and it looks like in the southern part might be the most ideal growing conditions the light intensity is higher than every other part although in central it's almost the same i'm looking at that uh figure one the central and south it looks like they had more mitragyne i think in general in the south they have more total rainfall and then they said the two main factors were light and the volume of water in the soil those were the two main factors i think they did a test and they what is it called a canonical correspondence analysis i think they did one and then they have they had to variables to get a closer sampling but i think they found in general it said that kratom could be grown pretty much anywhere in thailand but it says among the four region trees in the southern region which happens to be their native habitat and hence treated as control in the study were the largest in stem circumference height, crown area, followed by those in the central region, while trees in the north and northeast regions were the smallest. I thought it was pretty interesting, too, that in that area, the annual air temperature only changes within a degree over the entire year. In the south. Yeah, yeah, like one degree from 78 to 79, but I guess that'd be in Fahrenheit, but one degree Celsius. It's like a super stable environment, um, especially... You know, you think about the problems that they get up in Canada, even in greenhouses, trying to grow cannabis in the middle of the winter. Like that's what leads to majority of their problems up there and crop destruction. Um, so having that, having such a uh, tight range of what the potential air temperature could be is really helpful. And especially, you know, you're, you're growing then year round as well. That's basically the same southern Thailand and, and Malaysia. So, but in Malaysia, of course, it's, it's not legal. So it's... Uh... Although University of Science Malaysia, they've done plenty of uh, a lot of social science and stuff on on kratom there, uh, kratom use there. So it's being used there. It's just I don't think they'll they'd be able to do uh, a uh, study like this without without it being legal. What did they say? So the reported range of mitragynine content was, and that they had two measures of it, seven point five to 26.6 milligrams per gram of dried leaf which is a pretty 3x range yeah yeah it's a pretty wide range and um try and read those color charts and and it looks like the stuff in the north and northeast were lower and then central and south were higher my tragedy content and then the other measure was um, the percentage of alkaloids which in a lot of papers, it was repeated that 66% in Thai Kratom, 12% in Malaysian. But uh, what they found was, um, this is under results, the fraction of mitragynine, the total, uh, total alkaloid of the of the sampled leaves, I guess, from the four regions, ranged from 27.7% 
in the northern region to 69.4% in the central region with a profile of 116 identified chemicals. So I guess they did identify a lot of the alkaloids to take to mainly take the mitragenine uh, percentage of alkaloids. So that would be pretty high. I I don't I forget what the um, average in the United States product is, but I think it's significantly lower than that, which might mean there might be stronger kratom, but we really don't know because uh, we've been looking at a lot of these. There's been a lot of lawsuits coming out coming out of people that it was declared uh, my tragedy and intoxication their deaths were declared and there's like a family suing for wrongful death but there's still no mechanism of action identified to how my tragedy would you know kill somebody um, a couple of these people I looked into and they had like pre-existing heart conditions and so I don't know if that's how it happened but there was just mm-hmm. another study that came out that said it was another um, test on animals uh, with pretty significant amounts, and it they didn't it didn't cause respiratory depression at, at very higher amounts than humans would typically take. Importing it will be ideally be taking alkaloid content tests, and mm-hmm. and customers will be able to know what's in it. That, yeah, here it is. Um, it's from 2009. A study reported that my tragedy content available in the commercial Kratom products in the U.S. range between 1% uh, to 6%. Well, in our study, it was between 1.1% and 2.2%. Also, an in vitro study reported a similar range in commercial products sold in the U.S. 813 to 11.45 milligrams per gram, which I don't... I, I, one point six percent. I guess that means uh, of total content of the entire leaf, uh, and not of the alkaloids, because uh, mm-hmm. they're saying whatever sixty sixty six percent, sixty nine percent of the alkaloids. Oh, metragenine content in Malaysia was within a similar range, and uh, some of these. Oh, these are more recent studies. One was from 2020, one was from 2021. Hence, the mitragenine content sampled from all the four regions in this study was in a com- comparable range reported previously. This indicates the potential of growing kratom in varying environmental conditions in Thailand without a substantial reduction in the amount of bioactive chemicals obtained. So again, they're mm-hmm. they're looking, they're focusing on ag- agriculture in this study. Um, and and trying to figure out what's the best growing conditions for producing tragedy. I thought it was interesting too that they were measuring photosynthesis three days post, like up to three days post harvesting. And I guess they're, you know, they they can only do what they can do in order to get it there as fast as they can. But three days seems like, or actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I just see my note underneath this now too. No, they were measuring photosynthesis on site. That was my bad. I misread that one. Um, but this is a you know pretty related to like cannabinoids i mean so they're i was surprised because it seemed to me and maybe maybe I, I interpreted this wrong but they saw significant regional differences in photosynthesis rate and growth with the north and the central being higher so having higher rates of photosynthesis and and therefore growth but that didn't correspond and was actually opposite of where they found the highest metragenine content in the central and south region so it was like it's always true that like more light and higher light intensity will increase the bioactive alkaloids within and in your plant. 
But in this particular instance, and it might be because the highest concentration they did find was so much higher than all the rest. But it, it I read it as that the higher metragenine content was found in the areas where there was less photosynthesis and growth rates, which maybe it's you know, says something about the metabolism of the compounds. Was the photosynthesis related to the light intensity, or is that is that completely different? Because I thought there was well, more you have, light in the south, oh, but I'm not sure. I thought it was higher. So, so photosynthesis rate and growth, I have north and south higher, or north and central higher, but then higher metragenine content in central and south regions. Okay, I see that. Central had the highest. Um, I'm looking at these charts. and trying. Okay, north is the triangle. Yeah, it looks like Central had the highest amount of light intensity. That's true. Yeah, there were all sorts of different variables that they were measuring there. Yeah. Yeah, key environmental variables correlated with high content of nitrogen or high light intensity and VW, volume of water. Um, Location sampling in the Central and South regions provided such conditions well. Relative humidity, calcium, and soil pH were also found to be significant to a lesser degree. I think the um, lower pH, that means more acidic, right? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, so I think it favored more acidic so- soil, lower calcium, higher relative humidity. Those are kind of the lesser degree ones. So Brian Pearson was the, is the horticulturist at the University of Florida that he was one of the guys that reviewed it, but he, he told me in the interview um, about how they kind of prepare plants for commercial market. And he works on a lot of like ornamental plants, which have to be really genetically similar because they have to look a certain way, but will be rejected. And so our entire industry uh, and then Florida is the second biggest producer of horticultural goods and specialty crop goods. So our industry in Florida is very good about getting that standardization. And that's what interests me, where the two worlds of, I guess, my discipline and that of Dr. McCurdy's kind of come together. Because when I look at natural products or herbal medicines, one of the you know, thoughts that I have, you know, generally in an opinion, is variable concentrations from batch to batch, variable concentrations and act, potential activity that might be from you know, pill to pill in a capsule. And how do we standardize that? Um, step one, there's going to be genetic variability in the plants. So we have to eliminate genetic variability, which is actually relatively simple. We identify a plant that has certain characteristics we're looking for. That could be a volume of leaf mass or um, a resistance to a pest or disease. And that's where Dr. McCurdy and his team in Gainesville are so helpful because it also is important to identify what alkaloids may be beneficial and those that are not. And that ultimately helps us select which plant or plants we want to move forward. From that point, we can get them into a tissue culture facility generally, where we can mass produce millions of plant units um, a year that are 100% genetic clones every single time. So that eliminates the genetic variability. Mm. And then the last component is that environmental component. So even if we have 100% perfect clones of each other, then it's a matter of understanding how the environment influences that plant again, in terms of growth and yield and herbivory and alkaloid synthesis. And so once we understand the environment, the light, the heat, the water, um, or lack of water and water stress, once we understand that, we can put together a protocol that would allow for um, essentially very, very uniform production of plants to try to reduce that variability. And I think that's achievable because we already do that with other plants for other applications. And so it's sort of applying that formula to, to this as well. 
And if I can just jump in real quick, I, I, I mean, I think that's a perfect explanation of, of how we do this for plants that are decorative and out on our yard, right? But we're, we're shooting for precise alkaloid contents and ratios and, mm-hmm. and um, times, you know, times of the day or times of the year that those plants might have to be harvested. And we still don't know the answers to those things. It'll, it'll take getting to that sort of standard material and then starting to do more studies uh, to look at very in, in ratios and alkaloid productions. But you could, you could do things where we already see in practice something like uh, the tobacco industry. I mean, a, a Marlboro cigarette pretty much tastes the same and should give you the same effect that it does today that it did 30 years ago, or at least that's the idea behind it. So it's a blending process, um, also similar to the wine and spirits industry, where, you know, uh, a bottle of, of Maker's Mark bourbon tastes the same today as it did 20 years ago. Um, a, a, a certain winemaker may may blend several different barrels of wine to get to a particular taste that he wants or she wants his wine to to possess that may be reminiscent of that particular label each year so you know it could be it could be a, a number of things that we go to we could we could end up with a very genetically standardized plant material but yet depending on and again dr Pearson could speak better to this but you know if, if they're growing out in a field you've got trees that are going to be exposed more to light and heat because they're on the south side of the field versus the north side of the field and and all kinds of variables that go into that. And that was from Kratom Science Podcast number 69, explaining uh, some of the considerations that went into this study we're talking about here on Journal Club for this episode. So that's mm-hmm. basically expl- explaining what they're looking for here. Even It even said something about the roots uh, after two to six months. If they're like too submerged in water, they can experience uh, shock. Yeah, hypoxic stress for roots immersed in water for an extended period of time. Which is funny because I have a kratom plant and I keep it in water all the time. Like, it's it's in a bucket of dirt, but it's also in water. So the water's... And it seems to do well with that. But I have to keep... I left it out. My greenhouse isn't all the way sealed and heated yet. So I left it out there when it was like 30-something at night. And it got a little bit of um, frost frostbite out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but it's also been eaten by deer twice, <laughs> and it's grown back like bigger than it was before. So, but it does like that wet soil definitely. Um, and then I haven't, I haven't, I have it in the window now, but uh, so it hasn't been growing. It hasn't been getting that as much light as it had in the greenhouse when it was warm enough. So, I, I gotta put, um, I gotta put my grow light on it. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely wet soil and a lot of sunlight. I mean, just from growing one plant, I I could tell that, and I'm glad I'm backed up by people that actually know what they're doing here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was saying like, you know, coffee has the same amount of caffeine in it, pretty much across the board. Not, I mean, if you get a lighter roast that has more caffeine, darker roast has a little bit less. Uh, mm-hmm. Same, the same thing can happen with kratom, but I think. I mean, I think it's almost standardized among plain leaf powder. It's just that people are switching back and forth from extracts without knowing wh- what they're doing or without knowing. And 
that's getting some people into trouble. It'd be, it'd be nice to know every time you get it, it's going to be the same thing. It's not going to be contaminated, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say I think that this paper comes off to me more as a more for producers, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. a, of course, it ends up being downstream a better um, position for the consumers as well. But the producers, they want to know how to maximize the output of the plants and the energy they're putting into the plants, you yeah. know? Um, did you see, so I'm looking at figure three where we're looking at the, they have the high metragenine and low metragenine in those blue and red circles. I thought that that M82 up top was pretty far away. And if that, if that point, if that high concentration of metragenine, if that plant wasn't included in this data set, they would all pretty much be around the same. You know what I mean? They'd be within, uh, you know, minus two to two more or less. Yeah. that kind of seems like an anomaly there. Yeah, it's way up on the scale of... Well, they're looking at the significance of the contribution, uh, yeah. uh, like grouping of them. It's not necessarily the actual metragenine content. It's more relative, a relative uh, scale. Okay. What's the number? It's like the um, the P number or something that, that shows you... It's like a number of how much this variable differs or how much it p-value. I don't know if that's... Um, yeah, your p-value is the significance. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if there's a significant difference or not, and usually it's 0.05, which means that uh, there's a 95% chance that the difference we're seeing is not due to random chance. A I, fraction of metragenine uh, yeah. total alkaline content sample of the four regions ranged from 27.7% in the northern region, the lowest, mm-hmm. to 69.4%, which was that MS2 in the central region. So 69.4% of the... Okay, that's the total fraction. That's the fraction of the total alkali content. I was gonna say seventy percent of the leaf weight. Then what, must the thing must have been pretty sugary. Yeah. Wow. There was a. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to see if this region is where it was um, protected. There was like a province where kratom use was protected, and I wonder if that central location is where that was because I'm wondering hmm, maybe if it was, maybe people were allowed to use kratom to consume uh then then trees there might have been selected over over the decades but uh yeah i mean that's just a guess like i think they had estimated ages of like seven years to up to almost 30 years old and i learned from this paper i didn't i didn't realize that kratom trees don't have rings in which you can use to like objectively determine their age uh they don't grow rings like normal trees do i thought that was pretty interesting oh yeah yeah that was that was another that was another thing. That's pretty. And so, how do they tell the age? I mean, I'm sure they have various ways of doing that without well, counting. Said based on the caretakers, like on the word of the people who knew, more or less. Wow, that's right. Yeah, and and it, it was one of them. Um, this is this is at the end, like the further further research. Here's where we have to do further research. This in all these papers, but a variable not included was the actual age of the trees. They didn't. That's one of the things that they didn't. Um, list on here because I, I guess it's it's pretty difficult to determine so because that might be a factor in alkaloid content it almost i even asked them about their the greenhouses at university of florida and why they didn't get uh, as much like they barely got any metragining content and i asked them and i said do you think the age because they these were like six month old trees and I, I think mm-hmm. we we brought that up in the podcast we did it. and he said yeah that that could be a factor it says a future study focusing on kratom alkaloid production relative to the trees of different ages and stages of growth will be undertaken to better understand their effects on alkaloids so it's actually 
there will be one that says so. Um, and I imagine they know there's going to be one because it's government funded. They probably already ha- already have the funds. Mm-hmm. And and another thing that I brought up in my article about my summary of this was that Pascal Tangway, who's like the southeast, he's a drug policy policy expert and he's been in in Thailand for the past 20 years but he said um, they see a, they see it's a large untapped market they have the resources they have the a heavily agrarian society that's good for cultivating they've got rich fertile soil and they're ready to produce so he, yeah he was mm-hmm. telling me it's it's they see it as a money maker not necessarily uh legalizing to protect human rights or anything that it's you know how governments go uh, if we can make mm-hmm. money at it we'll do it if we can make money throwing people in jail we'll do that but he also mm-hmm. mentioned he also mentioned that one of the reasons they're legalizing is because they have jail overcrowding because they had a very they had a very harsh uh, drug policy for quite some time but now they have cannabis and kratom uh legalized and so there's they're trying to stop jail overcrowding and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and they can make money at it, too, at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thailand's always grown cannabis, too. I mean, Thai stick was one of the oldest uh, types of weed that people talked about. Oh, you get the Thai stick. Like mm-hmm. Cheech and Chong talked about. <laughs> yeah, that's shit that's tied around a stick. So that's that's just a little bit of the political there. But it's kind of it's cool that there there's another government that's uh, funding their research. Yeah, I mean, there's money to be made and jobs to be had. Yeah, don't really have a choice, really. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, you know. And I mean, I would say too that like anybody interested in looking at the details or you know growing kratom or bringing up kratom trees themselves, there wasn't very many specifics like amount of light levels in terms of like PAR or PPFD, but they do talk about the you know the nutrient content of the soil and the optimal balance between organic matter, carbon, you, you know your your CNP, your CNK. Um, so I would, I would check out the article, but also check out Brian's summary of it over at kratomscience.com. Yeah. Thanks for the plug. So keep your kratom plants, uh, in as much sunlight and, and pretty soggy, uh, acidic soil. That's what I got out of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get to measure the acidity of the soil it's in now. I'm not sure about that. It's all well, super important, especially for nutrient uptake. Yeah. Thank you once again, Dr. John Cachet. Check out Dr. John at J Cachet, C-A-C-H-A-T, on social media. The music is Captain Big Wheel. The song is called Moon Runner. Please give us a like, subscribe, share, rate, review, tell your friends about us. Kratom Science Journal Club is produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.